0: book of Romans. I don't know if you know this, but the first 11 chapters of Romans are just tons of beautiful, but yet incredibly thick theology. And it is just Big concept after big concept that can really be summarized in in four words. The first one is that we can summarize the the first part, really the first three chapters of Romans chapter uh, of Romans, and that Paul explains and gives us a, a concept of our own sinfulness, the sinfulness of humanity, that you and I, as as Gentiles, have walked away from God, that we have suppressed the truth of God. And that each of us have gone gone our own way and rebelled against God. And then we see that Paul begins to transition and shows us the marvelous grace of God that you and I have been saved by grace through faith. Right? This is chapters 4 through 6, or 4 and 5, where we begin to see that... Through Adam, you and I have been condemned to death, and each of us have participated in this death by rebelling against God. But just Jew and Gentile have all been saved on the basis of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ the Messiah, the one who lived the perfect life for us 2,000 years ago and died the death that you and I should have died as a substitutionary atoning work. So you and I see that we're sinners, we see that that we are saved, but then we see in Romans 6 and 7 and then... It- through chapter 8, that we are also being sanctified. Paul gives us a big 10,000 picture view of what God is doing in each of our lives now. And it ends with this crescendo with Paul saying that there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of Christ. That if you are in here today, you and I are being molded, we're being shaped to look just as we sang and prayed a moment ago, to look more like Jesus. And that our destiny, that our eternal destiny, is that you and I will be glorified once and for all with Jesus. That we will be made perfect as Jesus has been and always will be perfect. Then Romans chapter 9 through 11, we really began to dive into God's sovereign election of each and every one of us. That we, we learned that, that God is mighty, that he is sovereign. We, we began to understand that each of us are God's elect and that we have been chosen not on the basis of our own work, not the basis of our own goodness, not the basis of our own uh, essentially heritage or anything like that, but on the basis of God's goodness and grace. That's the only leg we have to stand on. And so Paul erupts at the end of Romans chapter 11 with this praise, thinking how unsearchable are God's ways and judgments. How inscrutable are his ways, how majestic. You can't end the tracing of how good and big God is. And so as a result of that, Paul begins in chapter 12, a turning point. And from chapters 12 through 16, we are going to find... Many, many points, not of theology, but of practicality. Based upon all that we are and know to be in Christ, how are we to live? How are we to begin to look more and more like Jesus? How are we to do and understand and discern God's will for us? And so, Paul now is going to urge the church, you urge us through the Holy Spirit, to act, to be a people of action in order to live like Christ for God's glory. So look with me at Romans chapter 12, and we will begin in verse 1. And when you get there, say word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's what I want us to take from this church as we looked at the the very beginning of Paul's transition on how we live like Christ, how we look like Christ, how we can discern and live in the will of God. This is the main truth that I want us to catch. That the mercy of God in salvation compels us and transforms us. The mercy of God in salvation compels us and transforms us to live as Christ lived through worship and obedience. It's the mercy of God that compels us and it's the mercy of God that will transform us in order that we will live as Christ lived through obedience and worship. So we've got our kiddos in here today. If you're a kiddo, raise your hand. There we go. I love, I love having our kiddos in here. So the main word that I want you guys to be able to take home, and this time I learned my lesson the last time, I'm not going to promise a happy meal to anybody that can remember this because this is only one, and I don't want to over-promise and under-deliver again, right? So this time I want you to take home the word give. Can you say that with me, kids? Give. Now, how many of you got to open some fun presents around Christmas? Yeah, lots and lots of fun. James, I asked him earlier, and he said his favorite gift to get was a trampoline. So he got a five-foot trampoline that he can jump on. I asked Sophie, and she said that she was being real polite next to, next to her dad because he, she said um, everything. I love everything equally. <laughs> Steve, you didn't get a bad gift, man. Impressive. But oftentimes, we like to get rather than to give, don't we? We like to receive gifts on Christmas. How many gifts did you guys give? Maybe a couple? You gave a gift to your mom, maybe your dad, or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Good for you, James. So we oftentimes, we love to, to give rather than, or we love to get rather than to give. But Paul is calling us in this, in this text, for you kiddos in here and for all of us today, that he's calling ourselves to give ourselves in three ways, to three things. And the first way that Paul calls us to give ourselves the way the mercy of God transforms us and compels us is that he calls us to give ourselves to God. He calls us in the first couple of verses to give ourselves, to lay our lives down, to present ourselves to God. Paul tells us that the source of our gift is his mercy. So we see that Paul calls us. He says that we are to lay down our lives to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we are to give ourselves to God. Now, why, what is our why? Why do we do that? Why are we compelled to do this? Paul gives us the source of our gift. Why do we give ourselves? He, sell, he tells us in verse 1. Look with me at, at chapter 12, verse 1. What does Paul say? He says, I appeal, I plead with you, I'm calling you, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are a believer in here, this is what Paul is telling you. He says, brothers and sisters, how and why? By the mercies of God. Consider the mercies of God that Paul has just talked about. That you and I were sinners who had rejected God and were eternally destined for hell. But by God's grace and mercy, he has chosen us and brought us into an everlasting life, one where we are able to be one with God, that we are able to be in right relationship with God, that we are able to know God. The source of and the reason, the why of our giving of ourselves is when we ponder and consider the mercy of God in our lives. If, if you don't feel compelled, it, it, you're like, I just don't understand. I don't, I don't know why I would, I would do this. God, I don't feel like is, is worthy of giving everything. There's portions of my life that, that I still want to hang on to myself. Then that means the mercy of God has not taken root in every single part of your life. Maybe you need to, from this text, you need to just sit down and pray and ask God to show you how great his mercy is. That it would take root in your heart and transform you. We see the source of our gift as we give ourselves to God. The second part we see is the nature of our gift. Look with me again at the end of verse 1. He says, By the mercies of God to present yourself. He calls us to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he says, present your bodies. The nature of our gift is that it is the entirety of our humanity. That God is deserving, not just of segments or parts of us, but God is worthy because of his mercy, because of who he is, of every aspect of who we are. Something will reign in your life. Paul tells us that. Look back. This is something he mentions in Romans chapter 6. Look back with me at Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Just turn over a a page or two. This concept is, is within this book already. He says, do not what? Do not present yourselves. This is the same word. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but what? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. He says the same thing down in verse 19. We're not going to go there, but you can mark it. Whatever reigns in our lives is what we choose to present ourselves to. Whatever we choose to give ourselves fully to is what reigns in our lives. Now, this can, can be different. Paul is saying because of our salvation, Paul says, do not any longer present yourselves as a slave to sin. That you and I no longer have to give into sin's uh, essentially call or beckoning. We are no longer that slave to sin. How do we end up doing that? We present ourselves to sin in different ways, just as we present ourselves to God in different ways. You can present yourself to sin by not being in the Word. It can be a, a sin of omission. You can present yourself to sin by having your phone in your room at night if you struggle with looking at pornography. We can present our ourselves uh, to sin by being alone in our apartment with, uh, with a boyfriend or girlfriend. We can present ourselves to sin by holding on to our sinful past and not allowing Jesus to transform us. We present ourselves to sin by keeping sin a secret. We give in, allow sin to rule and reign in our lives when we present ourselves to it. We give in in that way. And it starts not just when you do the act of sinning, but well before that when we're presenting ourselves the opportunity to But Paul calls us, present our bodies as living sacrifices. He calls us to a different, totally different equation. He says that we are to surrender all aspects of our life to Christ. Meaning that our work is worship. Our work isn't about us. It's not just for a paycheck. It's not just to provide for our family. The way we work is worship. It means that our parenting is worship. Paul calls us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our parenting is worship. Our finances are forms of worship. Our sexuality is a form of worship to God. The things we watch and the things we listen to, this is what we are presenting to something. We either are presenting it to sin, we are presenting it to someone, or we're presenting ourselves to God. Where are you presenting yourself? What are you presenting yourself to What comes out of our mouth is a form of worship. So how do we give ourselves sacrificially to God? Paul tells us in verse two, he says, he tells us that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love the way that J.B. Phillips translates this. He says, don't be squeezed into the mold of the world. The world is trying to, I know this is going to be pretty graphic, but it's trying to put you in like a sausage packaging where you're squeezed in in like a tube. That's exactly what the world, the world is conforming, meaning it has pressures. Satan has set it up in a way that pressures pushes in on us in the way, in, in, in everything in it's thoughts and, and the desires of the world, in the media, everything is kind of coming and pressing against us, trying to conform us or mold us from the outside into what the world looks like and expects. But what does Paul say is ought to be different about us? He says something really interesting. He says, do not be conformed to the thoughts and patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he says don't be conformed, something that is happening from the outside and pressing in, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Meaning that transformation is something that only God can do from the inside out. that The only way that we can truly find transformation, trying to find the healing that we need, is by allowing God to transform us from the inside inside. So what is feeding our minds? What's feeding our minds? As, As Tony Marita said, I think more eloquently than I could, a polluted mind leads to a polluted life. What is kind of feeding our minds and feeding our lives? Our minds can be and should be renewed by God daily as we give ourselves to him the word transformed there is where we get the english word metamorphosis that we can be totally changed by god's grace and by his mercy so we think differently and we feel differently we begin to act differently so you may feel hopeless in your life and in your mind in your battle It may be filled with trauma. It may be filled with pornographic thoughts and images. It may be filled with the lusts of your eyes and what you've watched and what you've listened to. It may be filled with harmful thoughts. It may be filled with anger and bitterness. But what the hope of the gospel shows us, beloved, is that we can be, by the grace of God, we are people of hope because our minds and our hearts can be transformed. We are not bound to the past. It doesn't have to be something that dictates or determines what our future looks like because God's grace is better than the conforming nature of brokenness and sin and the world. It's good, good news. Paul says that we can be transformed daily by God's word and by God's grace. So we see the nature of our gift and finally we see the result of our gift. Look with me at the end of verse 2. If we give ourselves to God, learn to know God and be transformed by his word, what happens? He says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The result of our gift is that we may actually understand God's will. We may be able to discern it, discern what is good, to be able to test and see if this is God's design for us, what is actually good for our lives. As a result of giving ourselves fully to God, we not only are able to discern the will of God, but we're able to know God more closely. We're able to experience the relationship with him more closely. Now, when we think of the will of God, what do you often think of for college students in the room it's who am i going to marry <laughs> right god just show me the right person that i'm going to marry and and that would be that would be delightful maybe it's what major what job you're in for 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 some of for some of the people in in the room it's where you want to go to college for for some people in the room it's it's a big it's a big job decision. It's whether you want to have kids. It's whether you should move into this house or get that boat or, or does it, which school you should send your kids to. All of those types of things. When we talk about these types of things, when we describe it as the will of God, what I want you to understand is that is what we call the hidden will of God. Okay? So it's hidden. It's hidden from us. We can't just discern it. It's not written in the skies, even though we would love for it to be written in the skies sometimes. We don't necessarily know what job to take, and we're like, God, will you just give me a sign? All of these types of things are what we would call the hidden will of God. Ephesians 1.11 calls it the counsel of his will. Deuteronomy 29.29 says it this way, and and I'll just read it to you because I don't think it's going to be on the screen. The secret things, this is where we get this idea, belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed, this is where we're going to get the next part of this belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So the second part of God's will is God's revealed will. So we have God's hidden will and God's revealed will. The hidden will is the ones we spend a ton of time on. Where should I, what should I work? You know, where should I work? All these kinds of things. But what we don't spend a ton of time on, and what the New Testament spends all of its time on, essentially, is the revealed will of God. How we should live in our life. What should our daily lives look like? The other part is a wisdom issue. But this is a revealed issue whether we are being obedient or not. Right? So we need to major not on the hidden mystery of God, in which God promises still to work all things together for our good. We should trust Him in those aspects, seek wisdom and guidance in those aspects with godly brothers and sisters that can help us discern the will of God. But in the revealed things, we must be obedient. I kept my two and a half year old cousin this week for about three days and on the last day i was fixing him breakfast he wanted a he he kept thinking in the refrigerator our oranges were peaches and i'm like no that's not a peach that's an orange but i want he says he wants it so i peel it for him no he doesn't want it okay well that's that's fine i just ate it and then he wanted blueberries fine that's that's fine i love blueberries we got lots of blueberries put blueberries in his bowl somehow at some point when he sat down at the table then he wanted chicken nuggets for breakfast Right? And I'm like, no, you can't have chicken nuggets for breakfast, kid. Like, This isn't how this works. And so what does two-and-a-half-year-old do? Smacks the blueberries off the table, and it goes everywhere. And I'm like, well, now you don't get anything for breakfast because that's not how this works. Listen, that's how life works. We can't expect God to give us the hidden things in our lives when we overlook the obvious and revealed things. If you're not giving yourself to God fully, then you will never be able to test and discern the hidden, good, and acceptable things that God has for you. That's just basic parenting, right? And so, I think it's important for us to understand how we begin to discern the will of God. Now, everything after this part is about the will of God. It is the revealed will of God how we should live our lives. Okay? So from 12:3 to the end of the book is a section of imperatives basically as a response to God's grace, give yourself to God, give yourself fully to him, and here is how you begin to do that. And the first truth that we see is that we give ourselves to God and as a response we then give ourselves to sober or right judgment. We give ourselves to sober or right judgment. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we allow right judgment to fill our minds, we're actually reminded that no one of us is better than the other, right? There's nothing worse in sports than a kid whose parent thinks they're way, way better than they really are, right? Have you been a coach? or a, a, a player on a team where the parent especially, and maybe the kid too, thinks they are way better than they really are. What kind of attitude does that bring? It brings a sense of entitlement, it brings division, it brings bitterness, and it, oh my goodness, it, it, just, it, just, it just wrecks havoc in the body of Christ. God tells us that the one of the most important things about our life is we actually think and view ourselves correctly. Before we can live as God designed us to live, we must actually know who we truly are. And he says that we must have sober or right judgment. Nick Saban, famous coach, calls some of this stuff rat poison, right? He says when people begin to believe their own headlines that it's rat poison. People begin to feel entitled and that the team really, really does need them. When we begin to think too highly of ourselves, think too highly of our gifting, think of too highly of our maturity, what happens? Then the the body is, you know, they couldn't do anything without me. Without my preaching, This whole thing would, you know, that would shut down. That that's that's the kind of thing that really hurts the body of Christ. And so we must think truly about ourselves. But I've also had students that think that God gave them gifts from the free bin of McKay's, right? That they got their spiritual gifting from uh, dirt cheap, and that's not true. And so because of that, they're like, "Oh bother, the body doesn't need me. You know, it doesn't matter." No, that's, that's not true. What Paul is about to tell us is that if we don't think rightly about ourselves, then we will never have the grace and unity that the church needs to, to really grow healthily. And that we will never have that as well. So pride, self-deprecation, and laziness are poison to the body of Christ and are great threats to us. Then finally, Paul says, give ourselves to sober judgment and then give ourselves to the church. Give ourselves to the church. So we give ourselves to God first, then we think rightly about ourselves, and then we give ourselves to the church. Look at what it says in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So though, we, though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So he says give ourselves to the church first through unity. That even though we are diverse in background, we are diverse in gifting, we are one body. We must fight for unity, meaning we must appreciate each other's differences, learn from each other's differences, but also know and fight for a unity. That we give ourselves to the church by not allowing division to to come into our body. And that even means in worship preferences. That even means you, you, know, you, you can't hate on the old people for loving to wear a suit. Right? <laughs> those, are, those are small things, but it's an important thing. We must appreciate and love one another, fight for unity, even if people have a different perspective. And then finally he says that we give ourselves to the church through serving. Look at me at verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We give ourselves to the church through serving. God did not design the church to be a a place where we're just a bunch of seat warmers. But we are servants. We must serve one another. And part of the way we discern and live out like Christ is we figure out and discover what those gifts are. And we immediately begin to serve in those capacities. He's saying that we can't expect to discern the will of God on other things until we begin to, to live as God designed the church to live. Right? So we must give ourselves to the church, not for our own benefit, but for the glory of God and the benefit of each other. Now, this is the time when I'm going to ask Lauren to bring up the, the baby in the hand, because I know it's, it's, getting, it's getting late, and some of you have seen this before, some of you have not. Now, this is a hideous, I mean just a hideous piece of porcelain. And some of you were around the first time that I've used this, but I used it in in a very similar situation. Now, Lauren and I got this for a a white Christmas gift, white elephant gift, uh, like five years ago now. And thankfully there was a Chick-fil-A gift card in the butt of the baby. And um, otherwise it would have been just overall terrible. But if you see this hand just sitting somewhere, you would think... Who has lost their ever-loving mind having a piece of art of a big porcelain white hand that's curved like it's about to grab something? It's going to reach out and grab you. No one. That's insane, right? Now, also, on the same level, who in the world would have a a curved, weird-looking, big-eyed baby just sitting as a piece of art? No one, would they? But when put together like the hand of God with a baby what happens? It's weird, but it makes sense, right? And that's pretty much what the church is. It's kind of weird, but it makes sense because of Jesus, right? We need both hands and we need babies, right? This is what we we need people to, to keep the babies is what we need as a boy for Emily. So what we need in our lives is we need to discover and discern and then use our spiritual gifts, that's the first thing as Paul comes to, the, to essentially saying give yourself to God. He says the first pretty much the way that we do it is by serving in our gifting that God's given us. Now what is that? This is how we want to, to help you in this. For those that are interested, we've created a design process for Christians that will, that will help you begin to think through the desires that you have to serve, your gifting, your individual personality. And then we will work to help essentially mold all of those together to find ways in which the church can use you and, and really needs your hands and feet. If you're here and you're just here every week and you're not serving, you're just a seat warmer, we love you. We're glad you're here, but you're missing out on some of the things that God has for you. Some of the blessings that God has for you. Some of the growth that God has for you. And so whether you're cleaning the encounter floor, greeting people at the door, sharing the gospel with a neighbor or a coworker, working on a widow's home, or teaching Sunday school, serve for the glory of God. And that's what Paul is telling us. Whether in generosity, then give generously. All of us are called to give, but God gives us some in the body that are just incredibly generous. He says, "For those who teach, then teach. Exhort from the Scriptures." He says, "The one, um, the one serving, then just serve your tail off." You know, it's amazing. This is what God has called us to. Give ourselves to God and surrender. Give ourselves to right thinking and judgment. And then the first thing about the will of God is that we are to give ourselves to the church. That means you gotta be committed. That means you gotta be here. Give ourselves to the church through unity and through service. Now, if if you're here today. And I don't want you to hear that you do all of these things and you're saved. If you're here today, it is only by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that, that we do any of this. It's not to be saved. But it is a way to serve our Savior who we love and who loves us, who transforms us. For some of you who are in here, you're, you're, you're stuck mentally in a place that is dark. I want you to know there's hope in Christ that he will transform your mind. There's help for you at the cross. And for those that are looking to discover and and discern your gifts, we've got this in electronic form. What I want you to do, though, there's another one of these sheets at the the table where the coffee used to be back in the back. Write your name on that and I will send in your email and I'll send it to you, the electronic copy, and then we can talk through it because this isn't something that just happens by yourself. So let's pray as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the goodness of your word. I thank you for a congregation that loves to to be together, that we love to laugh together, that we love to sing together, that we we love to pray together. God, you are good. And I I thank you, God, that, um, that you have brought us together as one body. So may we be a body that serves, that gives ourselves fully to you, Lord, I know in a group this size, there are people in here that have not given themselves fully to you. That they are withholding parts of their lives that they are presenting to Satan. Or presenting just to themselves for their own benefit and comfort. I pray that they will turn that over and hand it to you. I pray, Father, for those in here that think too lowly of themselves or think too highly of themselves. That by your grace, God, that they would know who they are in Christ. And then act in that manner. For us in here, God, I, I just pray that we would be obedient to your will and so that, that we would grow in, in our Christ-likeness together. In Jesus' name I pray.